Welcome back to the Vaughn Studies Podcast, hosted by myself, Svalia, and my co-host, Monacy. Today we have Dr. Camille. If you could go ahead and introduce yourself, that would be perfect. Hello, everyone. Monacy, Svalia, thanks for having me. I am Dr. Camille Wardrop Elaine, and I am, wow, what am I? I don't know. <laughs> No, I am a 26-year NASA veteran, rocket engineer, space scientist, um, the founder of a nonprofit organization called the Brightest Stars Foundation that I founded in 2007 that educates, empowers, and inspires young women around the world to be future leaders in science, technology, engineering, and math mathematics. I am a mom of an amazing 23-year-old daughter. Um, and that's it for now. Yeah, I am so excited to kick off this episode just because you have such an amazing career story and just so many things that I'm so excited to highlight about you on our podcast. But I think it would be great to take more of a narrative approach. And so I sort of want to start at the beginning of your career journey and begin talking about how you migrated here when you were 17, but you were just drawn to aerospace and space technology. And so I'm curious to hear, like, did you have those interests before coming to the U.S.? And how did they sort of translate upon coming to the U.S.? And how did you, you know, begin to pursue those passions? Just because there definitely is a lack of representation. So I guess like what inspired you to go down that path? Yeah, no, I was born in Trinidad and Tobago, which is a small island, twin island in the Caribbean. And I, at an early age, I remember really being fascinated by space and the night sky, but I really actually didn't know what that was, right? Because back then, <laughs> we didn't have the kind of exposure and awareness to space that we do now. Um, and so for me, I was a good student. I loved math and science. I was really, really an excellent math and science student and attended all girls schools, which I really believe in. So that is important because I got the opportunity to really explore the things I love, right? Um, and my mind is really analytical, very rational thinking. So I loved as a child building things. I did, a, you know, I would be like breaking things like appliances and, you know, I would be building it back up. So I was doing that at home, not really knowing what that was, right? So I remember trying to decide what I wanted to study in college um, because my parents always stressed the importance of education. I'm one of three girls and my mom always said, you have to be independent. And the only way to do that is through education, get your education and get your career. So you don't have to depend on anybody, right? And so I knew I was gonna migrate to the US to study. And I remember exploring different career fields. And at the time we were only told that we could either be a doctor, a lawyer, an accountant, a nurse, or a teacher. Like those were the only five careers that existed. And I knew I didn't want to do any of those. But we had a family friend who was a petroleum engineer because Trinidad and Tobago is big into oil. We are oil producers. And so he was a petroleum engineer. And I remember thinking, I'm not sure what engineering is, but I know it's something different. And I found out that you really needed math and science to do engineering. And so I decided, okay, I think that I'm on the right track. I, I wanna be an engineer. And I had to decide what type of engineering. And I loved, I loved chemistry, organic chemistry. I, and so that well, I could have been a chemical engineer. Of course, petroleum engineering was natural because that's what we had. But I loved planes. I loved airplanes because I traveled with my family to the US a lot. And so I said, you know what? I want to do aeronautical engineering. 
that's something that I don't know anybody else who is doing that. So I want to study that. And so I migrated to the US to study aeronautical engineering. And it was in my freshman year, January 28th, 1986. And I'm really dating myself. So don't do the math. <laughs> the Space Shuttle Challenger blew up upon launch. And that was pivotal for me. That, that actually changed the trajectory of my life. Because at that point, I didn't know there was a place called NASA. I had just come from this small dot, this small island in the Caribbean. I didn't know there was a thing called a space shuttle. And I didn't know there was a job called flying in space and being an astronaut until that moment. And that was it. I was hooked. I was like, that's what I want to do. So I switched my studies to mechanical and aerospace engineering. And after I got my first, my bachelor's degree and my first master's degree, I was driving into the gates of Kennedy Space Center in Florida at NASA. That was 26 years ago. That is such, that's such an interesting start. And I love how you went through the progression of thinking you wanted to do chemical engineering and then how that was like a pivotal moment for you when the space shuttle blew up and how that definitely changed your whole career track. And that's like really, really interesting to hear because, and I think everyone has that moment, but I think that moment being something that affected like everyone to some degree and like hearing how that affected you is really interesting as well. But yes. Um, something else I also wanted to ask, just moving more into the kinds of work you did at NASA, I know that you've worked on a really wide array of projects, um, from like human spaceflight to space vehicle system engineering to microgravity research, and it seems like you've really just done everything across the board. So I'm wondering what did that progression look like? Like, where did you sort of start and how did you sort of move between these different projects and like, how are they all interrelated and like, what skills were you able to take from one project to another? Because as an outsider, I feel like a lot of people, including myself, are not super familiar with how these projects might be completely connected. Yeah. So I look back now, retrospectively, after 26 years, and I'm like, wow, I did this and I did this and I did this, right? But when I started my, my career, I had no clue. I started my career as a flight to systems test engineer at NASA Kennedy Space Center testing the payload systems on the space shuttle. And that was, I mean, it was, and for me, that for those first few years, it was just being marveled by the fact that I was actually working at the place that I had dreamt of for all those years before. And working on the space shuttle, I remember, being in college and I had these posters of the space shuttle on my wall. And here I am working on the space shuttle, testing systems. I remember the first time I saw the space shuttle on the pad the night before launch, one of the launches. And I was just like, wow, blown away. Um, uh, and every time I see a launch, it's been two decades later, I still have the same feeling. I get goosebumps and I'm like, wow. So I know I was like born to do this, right? Like this is in my DNA. But um, for me, navigating through my career, I think I've just always pursued the things I've been passionate about, right? And when I started my career after two and a half years or three years, I was like, okay, I'm doing this, I'm testing, but it's not fulfilling for me. I really wanna learn how to design these systems. And so I went back to school and, you know, I have this kind of circuitous route in terms of my career. But I've always just explored or pursued the things I've been passionate about, right? So the programs that really I felt I wanted to be a part of, and I'd always wanted to be a part of 
the, the programs that were advancing, that were on the cutting edge, that was moving us forward, right? So I spent a few years working previously when we were going back to the moon, the constellation program back in 2004, 2005, because that was the marquee program. You know, we were going back to the moon. I mean, who doesn't want to work on that, right? And I subsequently became the systems engineer for the crew, for the Orion crew module, which now we know will be taking our astronauts. It will be taking the first woman and the first person of color back to the moon, right? Um, and so that was amazing. That was an amazing opportunity and experience to be working with such an, a brilliant team of people on how we were going to develop these systems to take humans back to the moon after we hadn't been there since the 1960s, right? And then I wanted to pursue, I loved communicating my passion for space. And so I started to seek out that opportunity where I can bring my love for communications and engineering and science. And I got the opportunity to lead, you know, the communication strategy for the International Space Station and all the research that we do on board. And that was amazing because that brought kind of my passion and I, it turned out that I had a real skill for, I'm an engineer, but I had a, somehow I have a gift for taking science and bringing those two things together and communicating it to people, you know, in a way that they understand, right? They, they just, the lay person on the street, but somehow I can communicate that effectively and they really understand and they become really invested right and so all my career I've always done that and then I had spent eight years in the International Space Station program and by that time I felt like I had done everything like I knew my job in my sleep I wasn't challenged anymore and I was like, how can I stretch myself? How can I go outside of my comfort zone, right? And so I decided to take an opportunity to move to NASA headquarters in Washington, DC in the science mission directorate. So here I am, I spent all my career in human space flight. And now I'm veering into science, which is all the planetary science, right? The Mars perseverance. The Mar I was in the science mission directorate when we made the decision to fly Mars, the Mars helicopter, the Ingenuity, along with Mars Perseverance, right? I remember that day when that decision was made to say, okay, we're gonna do this. Um, and all the earth science and the astro, you know, the James Webb Space Telescope, so all of a sudden I was in this new arena and this new organization that has a specific culture that I didn't, I was, it was so foreign to me, but it was one of the greatest teaching opportunities. I, I just grew so much. I stretched so much, right? And I often say, you know, it's important to get out of your comfort zone and as you get into your careers later on, you want to be able to take opportunities that really stretch you, that are out of your comfort zone. Because what I end up doing was adding a whole other tool to my toolkit, a new set of skills to my body of work, right? And that became really important later on. Because following that, that was a one-year detail at headquarters. I got the opportunity to co-manage a program that needed someone who brought science and engineering together, the commercial lunar program, right? And because I had that, I had acquired that new skill, I was the perfect person to be in that position, 
right? So that's actually how I've navigated my career. I always look for opportunities. And now this position I'm in, you know, leading commercialization of low Earth orbit, private astronaut missions and commercial space stations beyond the International Space Station is also a growth opportunity for me because now I'm, you know, co-leading a program which I've never done before. So you can't be a, you can't be scared of new opportunities or taking on taking on opportunities that you don't have the skills for because what you do have is an ability to think critically and ability to solve problems. And that's really all, and an ability to build relationships with people, right? And those three things, you could take on any type of position, right? Or any type of specialty or whatever, because you bring in those skills and then, you know, you, you're allowing those skills to get you through that position. So that's actually how I've navigated my career. Thank you so much for such a detailed and narrative description of your career. I think there are a lot of themes that I really connected with. And I think something that was a common thread was how you were talking about how you always looked for growth opportunities. Like there were themes of um, acquiring new skills or modes of thinking and how that ended up connecting back in the end and enabled and drove you to find interesting intersections that is relevant to your current work. But I also wanted to hear more about how the types of products you worked on. Um, you said some of their uh, elements were like, they were cutting edge or they're advancing STEM or space tech. I wanted to hear about how that also reflected um, in some of your own personal characteristics. So I think one was personal growth, but what were some other key elements that you possess that are reflected in the work that you chose to pursue? Passion drive, resilience, you know, I'm here 26 years later. I've navigated two and a half decades, right? Of a highly technical, highly challenging field and environment. And I am a woman of color. I'm a woman and I'm a woman of color. And you could imagine in an environment that is predominantly male, right? Resilience is really important. And what that takes is courage and, and a belief in yourself. I had to really believe in myself and my abilities you know, to do the job, to do any, any of the jobs that I've taken on, right? And do them well. So my pursuit of excellence, it's something that I always bring to the spaces I'm in, right? And so all of those characteristics, those personal characteristics that I've brought to the table is really what has helped me to navigate my career and rise, you know, to the position I'm in now as a senior leader, you know, at the agency. One question I actually had from what you were talking about earlier is sort of touching on what you said at the end. I know you talked about like relationships sort of being a key factor and like your success and helping you move forwards and I think that's something that like it's hard to associate with as being like a key like factor in terms of personal growth and so like especially since you were sort of still working within NASA but just like working on different projects and like sort of moving up on more cutting edge you know projects and technologies and things like that how did relationships sort of help you in that aspect and like would you be able to elaborate more on that it it was it relationships are everything Relationships are everything. Yes, you have to know the technical aspects. You have to know the subject matter. That's part of it. That's part of it. But relationships are everything because we operate in teams. 
there's no one person building a, a, a spacecraft. There's no one person building a space station. It takes tens of thousands of people and people with different perspectives, different viewpoints, different backgrounds, different experiences, all coming together to solve problems, to solve hard, challenging, complex problems. It's all about relationships. If you can't relate to other people, build those relationships across different organizations, right? I am in the position where I have to integrate with other organizations on a day-to-day -day basis. We need legal advice. We need the, con the folks who do the contracts. We are meetings every day with these folks from other organizations, engineers and scientists and communicators, all of these people coming together. And it's all about relationships. That's the only way, one, that I advance in my career and two, that we're able to get things done. And I, I tell you, I have advanced because of the relationships I've built with people. I've been able to build advocates and I've, be, and I've been able to acquire sponsors. We talk a lot about mentorship, right? And that is super, super critical and important. You need to have mentors throughout your career, people who can guide you and help you navigate different environments. But advocates, people who are speaking about you when you're not in the room, that is something that you couldn't control, but through your work and the relationships you have built with people, people take that on on your behalf. You know, so it's super, super critical if you're going to work in teams, which that's what we do in any sector, in the technology sector. You know, SpaceX is, is, is teams. Tesla is teams of people. Uber is teams of people. Google, you know, it's you have to be able to work with people and get along. And it doesn't mean that you can't be strong and have your position, um, and you, but being able to influence people's thinking and how we approach problems is all about relationships. I really liked what you said about having you know people that you've built relationships with be advocates behind your back and I think that's a really really important aspect of people that don't just stand up for you and sort, sort of support you when you're there but also stand up for you when you're not there and I think that's like a really key aspect of relationships and it's interesting to hear you also talk about yeah just like working in teams and how that relationship dynamic is really important but then also sort of cross-disciplinary relationships between like engineers and scientists and people in different organizations and different departments, because that's how a lot of the collaboration and growth happens. And so that's interesting to hear as well, because I think it's easy to sort of think that like your relationships that you make, especially in a professional setting, should be limited to your own discipline and your own area. But like, instead of just sort of searching for depth in terms of relationship, whether you know, trying to talk to everyone in a certain field. I think it's also about talking to people doing really interesting work in other fields. I think like, for example, Swali and I are inter interested in very different things, although there are a lot of overlaps between things we're interested in. But I think something that I appreciate about Swali, for example, is that we have conversations on topics that, you know, Swali might be really, really into and has been researching for a long time, or I might have been, or, you know, something that maybe we're both familiar with or both unfamiliar with. And I think that ability to have conversations about shared topics, but also like different topics and like use that as like a matter of growth is, is definitely like a really important aspect in a functional relationship. And let me tell you something. It's not just even within the US. We do a lot of international collaboration. In fact, space is all about international collaboration, right? We have an international space station built by five space agencies, 15 countries around the world, and we have enabled over 4,000 scientists from across the globe to do science on board the International Space Station, right? 
it's not just about relationships within the US. It's, it's being able to understand other cultures, right? Because everybody's bringing their own culture, their own language to the table to solve the same problem, right? And so understanding those cultures, you know, we work with Japan and work with countries across Europe and we work with Russia and we have new players like, you know, United Arab Emirates and all these countries are coming to the table. And so it's also important to build those coalitions and those collaborations across borders, not just within the US, right? Yeah, I really like that you commented on that. When I think about space, space doesn't have any geographic or political incentives, right? It is just yeah. uh, an area for all of us to explore as collective exactly. humanity. And something else I was also just curious about um, diving more into your background is that uh, you did a PhD in educational leadership. That's not something I see. That's um, very unconventional, at least in my own perspective. So when I think about leadership, it's not necessarily I think something I think about from an academic perspective. So I want to hear your perspective on how you were able to take on leadership um, in an academic setting, and then also make that applicable to real projects and interactions that you worked on. Yeah. So leadership. So in so there's several things. So in the I'm a leader at NASA, right? And that's all about leading change and breaking down, breaking down policies, rewriting policies, breaking down processes, streamlining it to get something done that we've never done before. Commercialization of space is one of those areas. Like we are now starting to really open up space for all of humanity. And that has taken breaking down a lot of the stovepipes that we used to traditionally, right? So it's about leading change. It's about leading people. I lead a team of people, right? And motivating them, inspiring them, enabling and empowering them to bring their best selves to the table, their best selves, their gifts to the table, right? To, to help us be successful. And it's about building relationships. So I talked about that. So that's, the, that's how leadership plays out in my world at NASA. But then you talked about you know, having an advanced degree, a doctorate in educational leadership. The reason I did that is because I talked about found, uh, starting my foundation 14, 2007. So it's, I can't do the math now, <laughs> but it's a long time. And I remember sitting at, you know, in NASA headquarters, looking around and not seeing any little ones who look like me in the pipeline coming up, young girls, young girls of color, wanting to get into space and space exploration and engineering and science, right? And so I, the only way I knew how to make change that narrative was through education, empowering, educating, inspiring young women, right? To pursue these careers. And so it was important for me to understand what the challenges were and why young women won't getting into fields, the STEM fields, right? Um, and understand how we could design educational systems to increase the number of women that got into STEM fields. And so that's why I pursued my doctorate in educational leadership because I really wanted to understand the systems one that were preventing that, the barriers that were preventing that, but also how to break down those barriers to enable more women to get into STEM. And so I brought, once I got my doctorate, you know, people saw me as an expert in that area, right? I brought credibility to these conversations and these discussions on how do we inspire more women to pursue fields of science and engineering and technology. 
And so, you know, I, people know me around the world. I get invited to speak on this topic, on the topic of empowering women. You know, I've been advised heads of states, governments, decision makers on what it takes, right? And so that was really important to me. And I think it was the right thing to do because it really gave me that credibility, you know, to speak and be an authority on this topic. So that's how leadership played out in the academic world for me. I think that leads into another big question I had was, you sort of talked about how this, you know, helped you understand different barriers that exist and how the system as a whole needs to be designed differently to feed more women into these fields. But I think something I was wondering is like, where in the pipeline do you think the most change needs to happen? Because I think that obviously there's organizations and people focused on younger girls and sort of educating them, but also, you know, high schoolers and teenagers and also college students and obviously change needs to happen in all ways. But like, I guess, where are you currently focused on making change and like, what is your perspective on that? Like what part of the pipeline? I focus mostly on high school and you are absolutely right. It starts early, but we know girls are super psyched about science through middle school, right? They are so, the research is very clear. Girls are super excited about science in middle school. And then they hit this barrier as they start going into high school where they're performing really well and they're taking the advanced placement courses, right? They're doing AP calculus and they're outscoring the boys. You know, they're taking AP biology and they're outscoring the boys. But at that, at, at some point, they lose the confidence in doing the, the advanced sciences at physics, for example. And I think how it's taught, it's taught in a way that doesn't necessarily resonate with how girls learn and how we think, right? Um, and how we are brought up, the environments in which we are brought up. And then I think girls start thinking about, they look at these fields and they don't see themselves represented. And that's super important. Representation matters, right? And it's important for them to have role models to see themselves represented in these fields, right? To see rocket scientists who look like them, to see astro physicists who look like them, to see geologists who look like them, then all of a sudden, it's like, wow, that person looks like me. You know, I think I could actually really do that, you know? And so that's super important, but they're not enough of us who are doing these type of fields for them to be confident that they can take it on. And then there's the, they see these fields and they say, oh my God, you got to work 20 hour weeks. I mean, 20 hour days. I want to have a family at some point. I need balance. And how can I work in a career that demands so much and then think I can also have a family, right? And so there's this real dichotomy. And so we have a high attrition of women who, okay, they get through high school, they do the advanced courses, they select engineering and science majors, they get through, somehow they get through college, doing very well, and they enter the workforce and what is demanded of them is really tough. And so we see women leaving the field because they don't feel that they can balance family and work and their profession, right? Some people manage to do it 
I'm not, this is a generalization. There are a lot of women who manage to do it, but there are some who are absolutely affected and it's tough. So for me, it's important at high school level to catch those young women and tell them you can do this, you know, you can do this. And it's important to have mentor, a mentor or two who can help guide you. And when you want to give up, they're like, mm -mm, no, you can do this. Keep going, you know? And so those things are important. So the question I wanted to ask after that was just, what is your perspective on the role of STEM in design and global economies? Because I know that you, this is something that you have talked about in the past and especially in the realm of developing countries. Um, I guess like, why do you think building this pipeline is so relevant for, uh, for futuristic growth from a monetary and human development perspective, especially in the context of developing countries? For sure. Science and technology are, uh, and innovation, the importance of those things, those areas to developing countries. That is where you get the creativity, the inspiration and the innovation, right? And so for developing countries that are struggling to develop their economy sustainably, you have to invest in science, technology, innovation, and research. Because we've seen developed countries, the, the reason the US is, one, is the most powerful nation in the world is because we have a value, we place a value on research, science, and technology. All the, all the inventions from a technological perspective have started in the US, right? And then moved out to the rest of the world. And so that is one of the ways that we have been able to remain a prosperous nation, right? And so it's super important for developing countries and emerging markets to value these fields. Now, it's also important to develop your human capital, right? Your citizenry. Because when you, when you place a value on science and technology in education, right? What you're doing with your citizens is giving them the ability to think critically. I talked about this and to solve problems. And the only way we can solve the intractable problems and challenges we have as a globe, right? Access to clean drinking water, access to um, food, food production, right? Climate change, you know, the reliance on energy we it takes it's gonna take innovation it's gonna take research it's gonna take engineering and science science is about understanding the natural world around us right and engineering is about developing solutions to improve the quality of our lives and so for developing countries those things are super important because how do you how do you solve poverty? How do you solve drought? How do you solve a lack of food production? It's through research, it's through innovation, it's through engineering, it's through science. Yeah, I really appreciate that commentary. It like, makes a lot of sense and aligns with um, my own perspective, like on this topic. So I think at a baseline, um, like, first of all, just the investing in human capital, that's always important. Um, we have all these problems, like we need people to solve them, right? It's not going to just um, uh, appear itself, right? So it's people who would be driving solutions to those problems. Um, and then the second layer to that is STEM is a 
tool to be able to drive innovation, to drive change and solve these problems, and which is why it's so critical for developing nations, especially because these problems are not just um, to increase quality of life, it's to create stability in life, to even be able to meet basic needs. So I think that is very important to highlight. Um, and something okay. else, yeah, I was just <laughs> curious about was, um, I know you worked on, um, an NGO, it was Brightest Stars Foundation, if I'm correct. So I was curious to hear how your perspective in investing in human talent um, and having a more holistic view of growing people from both like a, a skill set and also like mindset um, characteristic viewpoint. Um, how did that influence how you structured your NGO and the curriculum um, and skills that these girls likely acquired? Yeah, no. So I talked about, so I told you that I went and I, I got my doctorate and my research was focused on how do we design schools, high schools specifically? What are those key design drivers of high schools that would inspire and motivate girls to pursue STEM careers, right? And so one of those things is STEM engagement. Girls should be involved early on engaging in STEM fields. So I often say, if you wanna be a geologist, you should spend a day with a geologist who's in the field. That way you get to experience what that is like, right? You get to see what that career is like, right? So STEM engagement. And so, I knew that there were all these little pieces, role models, for example, I talked about that, right? The importance of role models. Um, and then the importance of mentorship, right? And so all of these aspects, I kind of shaped the services that I provide through my foundation in that way. So I mentor girls all over the world. Right, I work with the State Department. They've they've sent me up to countries around the world to speak with girls. There's this girl team in a country in Central Asia called Kyrgyzstan, and they decided these are girls, young women, 18 to 25, and they decided they they live in a culture where girls are married off very early, teenagers right? And they did not, they wanted to change the narrative. And so they decided they were going to take on building a cube satellite. Now, these are not scientists and engineers. They were journalists and linguists. And they said, you know what? We want to prove that girls could be engineers. They can be involved in space. And they took on the challenge two and a half years ago of building a cube satellite that will launch into space, right? And kind of become the Krizik space program. And I mentored them. I'd been mentoring them for about two years, right? So I shaped my foundation in these ways. I realized over the last few years that what I've actually been doing is building the confidence in young women, building their confidence more than anything, right? Showing them that they have a voice and they have something to say in the world, right? And they should lean in to their careers and to their studies and advocate for themselves. You know, learn how to ask for the pay that you think you deserve, right? Learn how to ask for that promotion that you know you've worked hard for, right? And so that's what I look back and I realize that's what I've been doing, pouring into young women so that they can build the confidence, right? So that their lives and trajectories of their lives could soar. And so that is the work I've been doing with my foundation, right? Because those are the elements 
that are critical to inspiring and empowering young women to be leaders in these, in these fields. I really like what you said about sort of like engagement with different career pathways. So actually like shadowing people and being able to like, not just hear about what they're doing, but also see what they're doing and like be part of that experience. Because I feel like it's really hard for people to visualize what that looks like and what certain possibilities mean. So giving that people the opportunity to do that in more accessible ways is something that I think a lot of people benefit from. And obviously Mm -hmm. I think this does happen at some public schools, but also the options that are provided are like so limited. And I think Mm -hmm. it's so much more helpful to have a wider range of options when even thinking about career exploration. Cause I think like the example you gave was like a geologist, but like, even though we have that sort of pathway of like where you can shadow people at my school, like we definitely don't have like a geologist, you know what I mean? So I think having pathways that are, are a little bit more tradition untraditional and like are not just expected is really important because it pursues people to follow their own interests and I think like even seeing things that they're interested in being like represented and the options of people that they can shadow is like really really important um and then something I also wanted to ask is I think a lot of like your career has been focused on forward thinking and like futuristic thinking and also like probabilistic thinking and sort of figuring out how you know, projects might might work out, sort of the probability of them happening and like really just being on the cutting edge of a lot a lot of what was happening at NASA. But how do you think that we can sort of install that kind of thinking and like that sort of mindset in younger people? Because I think obviously like that that is the future and that has been like the basis of your career and that is the basis of really any career moving forwards. Um, and so I just wanted to hear like your perspective on that as well. Wow, that's an amazing question. And one I haven't thought about before. So for me, what I have learned over the years is I have, a, I have that skill or it's actually like one of my strengths to really think big, right? I'm kind of like that really big picture thinker. I see things five, 10 years out, right? And I've always brought ideas way ahead of its time, (laughs) you know, and had them shut down because nobody was like, no, that's not going to work. And then two or three years later, somebody else is actually implementing that, right? So I've I've come to realize I have that gift and that strength to really think big picture. I do not know if that is something that is learned or if it's something that's innate. I don't know the question to that. I believe, I don't know because I have seen other leaders throughout my career that don't have that ability to think big or to to think strategically, you know? They're very focused on just their little where we are right now. And so I think it's not something you could teach. I don't believe I I really that's I'm stumped on that. I have to give that a little more thought. I don't think you can teach that. I just think you have that ability to think big, to see big picture, to be a visionary, right? Um, I also think the ability to navigate our world, I don't see myself as just an American citizen. I see myself as a global citizen. It helps that I was from another country, right? And I literally, moved and migrated at such an early age, right? Um, But I've always just loved the world, loved traveling, loved getting to know other cultures and meet other people and always seeing beyond just our our environment. And so I think 
I think that's an eight, but I'm not sure. What do you think, Manasi? I think my perspective would actually be that you can sort of develop that just because I feel like I personally have developed that to some extent. Like, I think that was something I always had, but I think, I mean, something I think about a lot is like unlocking human potential. So I think mm -hmm. like everyone might not, might have it, but it might just not be unlocked in everyone. And I think that there's ways, especially with teenagers. And I know Sola and I have both had this experience of like, we both were curious people and ambitious people. But I think personally speaking, I didn't really know how to apply that. And so like, I didn't know how to use that and as, as a way to think sort of forwards and think big. But I think being surrounded in an environment where every, what everyone thinks big is like a really big catalyst for me also being able to think that way. No, that's, you know, that's, that's beautiful. Saying. And that's, that's absolutely right. Surrounding yourself um, with very successful people who think big and are not, and not afraid to go out beyond their bounds, right? To stretch. Yes, really pushes you. I, I, absolutely. You're right. And just my commentary on that was, um, one thing is I don't think you can train passion. I feel like passion, desire is something that is innate. So for oh. some of us, I think um, it might be an innate desire or instinct to think forward thinking. But I think the other aspect is also true. Like uh, everyone, I think every person has potential. I think that's just the nature of being a human being. So I show sure. that types of mindsets or patterns of thinking can be trained, um, but it's specific to think about like thinking, like it's a way of thought, right? It's a pattern, right? But that's not synonymous with like desire and passion and emotion. Those things are that's innate, right. ways of thinking I think can be trained. Absolutely. We call that growth mindset, right? Yeah. Versus fixed mindset for sure. And that's also important in believing in yourself and the fact and and that you can do something you didn't think you could do right and that's one of the things we talk about with young women is that science and math and engineering is not something you're born doing well at you weren't born a baby doing science and math is something you practice over time and uh, the more you practice, you know, the more you are expanding your mind and the more successful you are. And so that's where the growth mindset comes in. So absolutely, I believe every human has potential and it's just a, match, a matter of finding what that is and nurturing that and bringing it out of you, right? and giving it to the world. I think that that is ultimately, I think the journey that we are all on as humans. I love that so much. I think this is an incredible way to close it out and wrap it up. So thank you so much for your time and your commentary and everything. Um, yeah. Can I just say, I think both of you are so amazing. Oh, thank you. Like, thank you. oh my God, like, just I am so impressed and really you 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 both are just super incredible and oh, I can really see future leaders right thank here you so much that means a lot um and yeah thank you so much for this conversation I learned a lot <laughs>